Guys, when we gather here on Sunday mornings, it's not just to, you know, play church. We gather here to get the word of life. And our lives are centered around truth. And if we don't understand truth, if we're confused on truth, then we're going to have a tough time navigating in this sin-infested world. And sometimes the, the greatest deception of all is truth that... Uh, is partial truth, things that just sort of has a hint of truth. You know, Satan's tactic from the beginning of time is to make something look nice and pretty and all shiny and bright, but it's deceptive. And we've got a lot of Christians today that don't understand truth, and we wonder why we're in such shape we're in. I am grateful for a church that has Sunday school teachers, associate pastors, senior saints, pastors who've paved the way before that pour in to you, and I hope you would say of your pastor, the truth of God's Word. And guys, I'm telling you, it's getting darker days, and we had better know what the truth is, um, or we're easily led astray and deceived. I want to uh, take just a moment also, too. I, I apologize. I wasn't in here for the um, announcement, so if I repeat something Nate said, I just want to make sure we get it out there. A uh, couple of things. Number one, ladies, Tuesday, uh, you need to make sure you bring a soup bowl or soup mug, okay? Don't mug someone for soup. Bring a soup mug, all right, and a soup bowl, um, uh, a new one, right? We don't want to have half eaten out of. That's not what we're talking about. So bring that for Tuesday's event. Uh, that's uh, what time again, Miss Belinda? Seven o'clock. And it's a what? Wrap. Yes, yes. Please make sure it's wrapped. All right. It's that. That. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wrap that gift. Uh, also, too, want to make mention of this. Uh, when you get home, you should have an email um, uh, with the information on the hunt service. Uh, that is tomorrow in Western North Carolina. And uh, we will be holding a service here, Lord willing, on the 9th of December. Uh, and there will be more information coming in regards to that. But the family has requested that uh, it be an informal, that we will have some light finger foods and just simply a time of fellowship and memory and celebration of Don's life. So there won't be any message per se, but just a time for us to love on the Hunt family. And uh, so keep them in prayer. Uh, they're traveling today. Uh, I thought they had left yesterday. Some of the family members had, but Miss Ginger scooted out of here this morning, and so pray as they're probably still on the road right now. Uh, keep the Hunt family in your prayers, and uh, as well as uh, Miss Mary. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, I saw you in, last week on the television uh, as I watched on, and I, I'm, I'm grateful you are here, and we continue to hold you in prayer. And uh, Guys, you've got to love on each other in these times. And um, don't forget we're family, you know. Um, church is more than just a social gathering. We're closer than flesh and blood. We're supposed to be. And it's important that we cultivate that type of family atmosphere um, as we do ministry together, as we grow in grace and knowledge together. Well, that's another sermon. This morning, I want to talk to you uh, as we launch into December, first December message. We're going to go ahead and dive into Christmas. 
And uh, I thought, you know, I, I keep wanting to get back into a book study. Keep wanting to get back in a book study. But God's got me doing other things, and that's great. I want to do what He wants me to do. So where I'm led to in this series, and we're going to do a topical series. I'm being challenged in this. Topical series through the month of December. And so... The, the series is entitled, Jesus, the Reason for the Season. Now, we hear this often. Jesus is the reason for the season, and we understand that. As believers, as Christians, it's all about Christ. Not just this time of year, but in all of life. It's about Him, His glory. He's the giver of life. And so... I want us to focus in on, and we're going to do a four-part in this. Today we're launching out first into the birth of Christ. We're going to look at the birth of Christ. But this is where we're going. For those of you who like to know where you're headed, uh, Lord willing, we'll be looking at this over the next four Sundays. Today we're going to be looking at the birth, and then we'll be looking at the life, then we'll be looking at the death, and then we'll be looking at the resurrection. And... Uh, I should have probably added a fifth part in there that we'll probably hit on New Year's, and that's the return of Christ. And so, uh, just to kind of give you a heads up on that, that's where we're headed, Lord willing. So, uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. And as we think about the birth of Christ, I want to ask this question. Why do we celebrate Jesus' birthday so different from other birthdays? When it comes to honoring historical figures who have a day set aside for them, we don't think about them as babies. This is from uh, Dave Brannon. He writes this in an Our Daily Bread article, What is Christmas All About? And he asked this question. Now, I want you to think about that for a second because, you know, it's a good point. When you think of historical figures, let's, let's just go there for a minute. Let's not go to the supernatural, he's God incarnate. Let's just keep it on the, on the level. Why is it that of all historical figures that have a day set aside, this is the time people, you know, the little baby Jesus, oh, baby Jesus, baby Jesus, you know? I, I, so, you know, I got to thinking about this. Well, we don't do this, say, little George Washington, right? I mean, when we think we set aside a day for George Washington, well, oh, little baby George Washington in front of the White House. Um, anyway, we don't, we don't do that. And this is probably my favorite one. I got to thinking about it. We don't, we don't do this for Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> see what I did there? You like that, Tyson? You see what I did? Welcome back, buddy. Good to have you back. Abraham Lincoln, no, you know, we, we, don't you know, we don't think about other historical figures. We set a day aside and, 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 and honor them. But what is it about Jesus? It's different. His birthday celebration is different. Now, again, I, look, this, we're going to be in the shallow end of the pool today. I'm just going to go ahead and let you all know that up front, all right? Um, we're not going to get, well, preacher, you know Christmas Day is really not the day Jesus was born. Okay, guys, just work with me here, all right? All right? So we set aside a day on the calendar. This is the day that you have a platform, you have an opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. You have the conversation about Jesus. And I find it interesting. People are okay with baby Jesus. They're okay to keep Jesus in the manger. Right? 
But I'm reminded that wise men today worship not only the child of Bethlehem, but also the man of Calvary. And guys, it's important that we understand not just the birth of Christ, and that's what we're going to look at today. We need to also look at the progression, his life, his sinless life, his death, what it's for, his resurrection, and again, his soon return. Man, it just turned cold in here quick, didn't it? I see you, Carolyn. Man, Brother Dean, did you turn the icebox on? <laughs> it didn't take no. AC's working good. Hallelujah. We can clear that one off the checklist. Man, yeah, okay. Anytime y'all feel free, I'm sure these ladies appreciate it. You know when I say it's cold, man, it's cold. Let's go to Luke. Let's get in here and get serious with the Word of God. Let's look at Luke chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We come to this passage every year, Christmas time, and every time we come back, there's something fresh about it. You never get tired of the Christmas story. There's something about this time of year that just um, within the heart of man stirs up. And I know for us as believers, it, there is a special part of this time of year. As we think about the incarnation of God, as we think about the birth of Christ, I want to look at three things this morning, and we'll start with the promise of the birth. The promise of the birth. You know, there are 19 Bible prophecies that were fulfilled at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, according to Lion and Lamb Ministries. They have dug through the Scriptures and cite 19 different ones specifically for the birth of Christ. Seven of these related to His lineage. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Hebrew prophets had prophesied that the Messiah would be from the Shemite branch of humanity, Genesis 9.26. That he would come through the lineage of Abraham, that he would be of Abraham, Genesis 12.3. Through Abraham's son, Isaac, Genesis 17.21. I'm going to go through these fast. Don't, if, you, if you don't get these, it's okay, you will live. Through Isaac's son, Jacob, Genesis 28.14. And again, I want you to see this. Again, from the Old Testament, as the, the pages unfold, as, as the Scriptures were being handed down, 
as they were being entrusted to people throughout all of time. These were markings. These were things. And in fact, we, we go all the way back to, to Genesis 3 in the promise of her seed would crush the head of serpent. Uh, and, and so we see these prophetic things uh, through the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49.8 says He would come. Through the family of Jesse. Isaiah 11.1 says He would come. Through the house of David. Jeremiah 23.5. And again, as I told you, we're kind of on the shallow end of the pool this, this morning. But guys, you can dig through these. Each one of these things has deep implications. The Jewish people, the king was David. You know, David's throne. That was all. And again, how important that the Christ, the Messiah, come through the house of David. The timing of His birth. Genesis 49.10 The place of His birth. Micah. And I can't read that right there. Something too. Somebody help me. Five, what is it? Micah. Five two. Thank you. My mind just sometimes doesn't want to work. But I did get that one right, I guess. He was born in the flesh. Isaiah 9.6 a star will signal his birth, Numbers 24, 17. His virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14. I invite you to go back on our podcast and listen to some previous Christmas messages. Guys, this is still under assault. The virgin birth has been and always will be under assault. And there's deep implications if we allow that room in the argument. If we say, well, okay, we'll, we're, we're going to... Guys, you cannot allow that room. This is part of... Authority of Scripture. He would be born of a virgin. We'll look a little bit into this this morning, but I've done previous messages on that, so feel free to go back and, and investigate that. But again, this is stuff that God uh, prophesied through, through His holy prophets as they penned down uh, the words of the Holy Spirit that His virgin birth would take place, that His divine name, Isaiah seven fourteen, 14, uh, the presentation of gifts to Him. That was all predicted. The massacre of children after his birth. Remember, King Herod, go in and, and try to destroy all those babies because he heard there was a king and, and he wanted to be the only king. And, and so, again, all this is predicted in Scripture. Hundreds of years prior to its fulfillment. His escape into Egypt. Hosea 11.1 his residence in Nazareth, Matthew 2.23, we see that recorded by Matthew. And then we also see uh, his childhood poverty. He would be of humble beginnings. He would uh, not be someone that, that would, you know, you might think, you know, standing out. No, he would be uh, of no reputation in the sense of uh, just not what you imagine. That was foretold, Isaiah 53.2. His spirit filled Nature from birth, Isaiah 1, 1 through 2. We see those things and then we are reminded of another passage of Scripture this time of year that resonates in Isaiah, Isaiah 7. And we see this, and again, as we read this Scripture this morning, think about what the Word of God says. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel.
Guys, I showed you those 19 predictions from various writings of the Old Testament and even the New Testament. To help you get into this understanding of how significant and powerful this birth was. This is 700 years before Jesus is on the earth in His physical form, before He comes into the manger. 700 plus years. Let your mind wrap around that for a second. And we just showed you 19 just around His birth. You know there's over 300 in the life of Christ. Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the life of Christ. And there's been a lot of research done. Um, a guy by the name of Stoner, um, I don't think that's what he was, <laughs> bad joke. Anyway, he, he wrote a book, um, and he did, he's a, I think he was a physicist, mathematician, anyway, he, he's a smart guy, and um, he did some mathematical statistics. He, de he dealt in probability and statistics. Read some of his writing. Um, there's some pretty impressive stuff that he came up with just running the math. The likelihood of eight predictions, eight prophecies coming to fulfillment in one, in one person's life. Astronomical. You got a better chance of winning the lottery. That's our language we understand. Though, come on now, you Christians, don't play the lottery. But the shallow end of the pool this morning. You can understand that. I can wrap my mind around that because I've never won the lottery. Have you? I don't want to know if you're playing. You've got a better likelihood than eight prophecies. I just gave you 19 on just the birth. Over 300 in the man's life. There's something going on here, guys. This is the kind of information that ought to be shared amongst people who are non-believers because that's pretty stinking awesome. I mean, just imagine... I told you eight things in great detail that are just going to happen next week. Now, I'm not going to do that because I cannot. I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I'm a prophet in the sense of a fourth teller, but that's about as far as it goes. But imagine for just a moment. I told you eight things next week, very detailed. And all of a sudden, these things started happening, fulfilled to the T you would probably be like, ah. you would probably be very scared to the core. Something freaky, I've just entered the twilight zone, this is weird, this is strange, something supernatural is happening, I don't know what's going on here. It would be alarming to say the least. Yet we've got historical documentation that's been passed along from generation to generation to generation. We've got specific detailed prophecies in things like Isaiah 53 and in, in, in Isaiah 7, and we're going to look at chapter 9 here in a little bit, that are very detailed information about the coming of Jesus Christ. We must share that kind of information with people around us, guys, because it enables the Holy Spirit to actually use the Word of God to bring conviction to the heart and life and maybe give them a <gasps> kind of moment to wake them up. 
And yet we just sort of gloss over these things because we're used to hearing it. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Guys, the coming of God incarnate into the world is glorious. The implications of the message of the birth is worthy of rejoicing and celebrating and sharing. This well-known prophecy of the Messiah given 700 years before Jesus was born. Not only would He be born of a virgin, but as Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1.23, we're reminded, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. God's with us. When He comes in the form of Christ, God is with us. He has stepped down into the corridor of time. He who is timeless. He took on the form of a man and robed in the flesh. Let's look at the person of the birth. The person of the birth. We've looked at the promise of the birth. What about the person? Well, we got a glimpse in that last passage we looked at. In fact, why don't we do this? Go over to Matthew. I, I, I want to I give the context of that passage. Everybody go over to Matthew real quick. We've got time. i got... Less than 20 minutes on the clock. <laughs> Doesn't mean anything. Don't worry, Seth. All right. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now again, guys, the understanding of the history, you know this, the betrothal period was usually anywhere upwards as long as 18 months is an engagement. Not like our engagements, an engagement in this time um, that it was a promise. It was a legal bonding situation. You know, you... Engagements may come and go. There's no legal ramifications in our society. But in this society, there was. There was legal ramification. So they were in this betrothal period. Part of that period was to uh, allow the, the, the woman to display her, her virginity. That, and, uh, that, you know, because obviously if 18 months ticked off the clock and, you know, she's not pregnant, then she's, there's faithfulness, there's that uh, commitment, there's this loyalness. Because what would often happen times is, and it's... Still happens sometimes in our, uh, in our day. girl gets pregnant, so she wants to latch on to marriage so that she can make sure, you know, baby's taken care of, be baby daddy, you know. So they had this, even back then in the custom, that they would have this betrothal period, part of it for that, but it was a legal binding contract. And he could either put her away, shame her publicly if she broke this contract by showing up pregnant. Ah, because you want to marry me for my sheep, for my goats. 
You try to catch them. Uh-huh, yeah. No, 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 no. See, this would have been the, the, the mindset of the day. So when Mary comes and she's with child, the worst thing that could have ever happened in Joseph's mind is happening. Now, he had two choices legally. He could shame her publicly, which he would have been right to do in the legal sense. But it says he was a just man. He loved her. And he's having a struggle. She's showing up pregnant. We haven't heard from God in 400 years. I mean, we can spiritualize all day long and make this, uh, you know, the Christmas. And it is. It's a beautiful and it's glorious. But guys, again, get down to, the, to where it is. And, and you know Joseph is having a hard time with this. But he was a just man. And not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. That was the second option legally. He could have done it with a couple of witnesses and just privately so as to not shame her openly. And you see the heart of Joseph. We don't know a lot about Joseph, but I, you, you get something from that. At least I do. I see the kind of compassion and love he had in that. And not wanting to make her public examples, might have put her away secretly. But, verse 20, while he thought about these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Again, there's some, dig a little deeper, Bible students, you'll get some, get some implication from this. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Whew. Wow. You imagine getting that wake-up call, gentlemen. Wowzer. Verse 21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will, underline this, he will save his people from their sins. Hallelujah. So all this was done that it might be, what? Fulfilled that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, quote, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. That's the context of Matthew 123. I mean, wow. Just imagine. You know, Joseph, whoo. Probably felt terrible, too, that he even doubted his soon-to-be bride. Oof. Been there, guys. We've been there in the sense of, oh, that, 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 I was wrong. Oh, yeah. Imagine in this scenario. And so we see the promise of the birth, but we also see in this the beginning to open up to us the person of the birth. There in that passage, there's, there's a lot of titles given. And, and so we want to explore these titles. We want to, and again, we're not going to go into too much detail with them, so let's push forward. But I want you to see this passage in Isaiah 9, 6. So if you can look up here or just follow along in the Scriptures. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just some of the many titles given to Jesus Christ. The person of the birth. You know, was Christ navigated later in life, and you see this in the Gospels, and when you're, next time you're reading through the Gospels, maybe just take a little highlighter or a pen and underline. How many times he references himself, the Son of Man? That was a popular phrase that Jesus himself used, the Son of Man. Son of Man must be betrayed. The Son of Man has come. Yeah, look through there. He referenced himself as the Son of Man, but we also see it referenced oftentimes as the Son of God. And again, the language that's given to us as we read through Scripture is very important, guys, for our understanding. This is to highlight His humanity. This is to highlight that He is God enrobed in the flesh. And so you see this interchange. You see this uh, back and forth, if you will, throughout Scripture, highlighting the attributes, the, the very person who would come. The Son of Man and the Son of God. The, the Son of Man, the common, the common understanding of uh, of this, uh, well, it, is, it implies His humanity. The Son of God implies His deity. Both of them do that. And both of them were clearly seen in the person of Christ. He was the Son of Man, that is a human being. And He is the Son of God in that He has always existed as the eternally begotten One who comes forth from the Father forever. I want to read this quote from, from John Piper. He goes on, he says, He always has and He always will. He is the second person of the Trinity and with all of the divine nature fully in Him. He is born of a virgin. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Thus He is human, fully human. The Bible wants to emphasize that He is fully human and fully God. So that's the common understanding. He is both divine and He is human. Two natures one person. The phrase, Son of Man, is probably taken from Daniel 7. And if you read that chapter, you'll see that the Son of Man is a very exalted figure. Not just a human figure, but an exalted figure. It was Jesus' favorite self-designation. John Piper. You know, we're told in Mark 15, 39... So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Again, those who knew Christ saw both natures. Guys, when we think about the birth of Christ, when we think about the promises we think about the person, and we think about that He came to identify with you and me. How awesome of a love is that? That He would empty Himself of those things to come and take on the form of a man. That He would leave behind the glories of heaven in all its splendor and, and, and to enrobe Himself in, in truly the lowliest of forms, the form of a man. But yet it shows how he identifies with us. And, and for those of us, as we struggle through humanity's struggles, loss, death, suffering, hunger, thirst, the many things that we often battle with, He knows your pain. 
He's like you in the battle of temptation, yet He was without sin. He knows how to overcome the battles. But He's sympathetic to our plight. And He proved that. So we see the promise of the birth, we see the person of the birth, and then we see the purpose of the birth. You know, what did Jesus come to earth to do? For those of you who went through our uh, study, um, the Truth Project, great study. We may have to revisit that one again. That's when you almost want to cycle through every so often. You remember in Jesus standing before Pilate and, and he said that his reason was to testify to truth. And remember, um, Pilate said the truth. Yeah, what is truth? Jesus bears witness of the truth. But why did He come? What was the purpose? What's the point? Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come... Now think about that. 400 years of silence. All of a sudden, boom! Jesus shows up on the scene. It was in the fullness of time. God's always on time, gang. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're crying out to the Lord. You don't think He's, he's hearing you. He's right on time every time. Amen? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You might want to underline that last verse there. That gives you purpose. That's why He came. You want to know why He came? He came to redeem those who were under the law. Who's under the law? You, me. We're under the law, guys. Paul said, I would not have known covetousness if it were not apart from the law. You would not know that you're a sinner apart from the law. The law gives us a mirror. The law says, thou shalt not lie. Oh, I lied. I broke God's law. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Man, I got a lot of idolatry in my heart. I love this, I love that, I love this, I love that. The law reveals we've broken the righteous standard. None of us can live up to it. None of us. There's none good. No, not one. So He came to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. What a beautiful thing. Adoption. Every one of us should understand adoption. It's one of the greatest loves. This is the very picture of the cross. This is the very picture of God coming. And as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become children of God. What a great privilege. Great honor. So we see this purpose of the birth. You know, sin's humanity's biggest problem. Jesus came to solve that problem. 1 John 3 5 says, And you know that he was manifested. It's a good word. He, he was manifested. That's why he came. He came to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. As we think through Christmas, guys, as we think about uh, and we go throughout our busy lives through this holiday, you need to stop and think about the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. What was His purpose? What was His point? 
He was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. The purpose of the birth, Jesus' arrival on planet earth, was the declaration of war on Satan. Again, the father of lies deceived mankind. We started this message today talking about the importance of us understanding truth. And yet Adam and Eve fail, though they knew the truth. They knew what God had said. And Eve being deceived and Adam being rebellious fell into sin. And the battle was on. Jesus' arrival on planet earth was a declaration of war on Satan. What do I mean? 1 John 3, 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. I love it when Scripture clarifies, don't you? <laughs> so, for simple folk like myself, oh, that's why he came. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's pretty awesome. Guys, not only did Jesus' birth have great implication, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to redeem us who are under the law. He came to buy us back out of the slave market of sin because the wages of sin is death. And if we get what we deserve, we deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the purpose, His reason for appearing was to destroy the works of the devil. And at Calvary, He destroys, and therefore we can be justified, not guilty when by faith we receive Christ. Your account's wiped clean, guys, when you put your faith and trust in the finished, completed work of Calvary. Not guilty. Sins. Penalty. Removed. And the power that still in this fallen sinful world that pulls at you, the temptations of our own deceptive hearts that lead us astray, the traps that we often fall into, that's still a battle that wages. But guys, I'm here to tell you, God has not only given us the, uh, the, the victory over the penalty, He's given us the victory over the power of sin. Because when we walk by faith, not by sight, when we walk in the power of the Spirit, not the flesh, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have mighty weapons through God to the pulling down of strongholds. These are Go back a few weeks, guys. This is stuff we preached on. These are things we talked about. The Spirit of God works in conjunction through these series of messages because they come from the Word of God, so they're there for His thoughts. Guys, we have victory. Not only justification, but sanctification. Remember that message? Not only from the penalty, but from the power. And this says to destroy the works of the devil. And one day, and we'll learn, Lord willing, on our New Year's service, the return of God, one day it will be completely done away with and we will experience glorification. The presence of sin. Victory over the very presence of sin. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of of Satan. The purpose of the birth, birth, Christ coming to earth was an expression of God's love. 
How do we know that God loves sinners? Since we're all sinners, here again, he, may, he spelled it out for us. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation? What's that word? Well, I am glad you asked. Propitiation. What does that mean? God provided you and me atonement, substitution. You see, in a, in, in a penalty setting, if you and I got what we deserve, we deserve hell, we deserve punishment. But Jesus took that so we don't have to. God sent His Son into the world to demonstrate His love for us. While we were still in sin, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I appreciate Mark Gentry and Brother Dean this week doing uh, devotions at the volleyball tournament. And there was this idea of love and, and, and both Mark's done a couple of series on it and, and very powerful. I appreciate it, Mark. appreciate you taking time pouring in uh, to the Scriptures and allowing the Scriptures to be poured into you. Guys, how, do you, how does the world know we're His followers? Our love for one another. Sometimes, let's just be honest, we, we don't appear very loving. We have short fuses. We hold it over each other's head when you don't live up to my expectations and I don't live up to yours. And yet God demonstrated His love to us while we were still in our sin. He sent His only begotten Son into the world to redeem mankind. That's a love that's agape love. And if you and I are going to love one another and love the world around us in its darkness and not loving the darkness but loving those who are caught up in the darkness, we have to do so with agape love. We have to do so with the love of God. And we're able to do that because He first loved us. Has demonstrated that to us. The purpose of the, of the birth, that, that, that verse of Scripture, keep your, keep your finger there. I want you to look at that passage of Scripture. We're almost done. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. Keep your, keep your finger there. Look at this. Because these are the three things that you see here in this verse. God initiated the relationship. He sent His Son. God initiated the relationship. He sent His Son. Religion's man's attempt to try and reach God. Religion ain't going to get you there. But God so loved the world that He gave, He initiated. God reaches down to man and gives man the opportunity to be redeemed. It's not of works any of us do. By the grace of God, apart from the grace of God, we are lost, dead. God initiated the relationship. He sent His Son. God gave His best. His only begotten Son. His one and unique and only Son. Think about that for a moment. 
God has given you His best. God couldn't give... He couldn't give any less, guys. If He's going to give you His best, He has to give Himself. Some people say, well, that, that sounds... I mean, doesn't that seem a little arrogant? Or no. No. To shortchange you would shortchange His character. He's given you Himself. He's given you His best. God met our deepest need. We can live through Him who is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means satisfying God's holy wrath against sin. Jesus satisfied the holy wrath against sin. And Christ took that wrath in our place. That substitutionary atonement on the cross was for you. The love of God is displayed because He took your punishment. He took your penalty because of the filthy sin that you and I have committed. Well, I've been a pretty good person all my life. No, you're not. You're self-deceived if you think that. You're calling God a liar. There's none good. No, not one. You're going to believe your self-righteous deeds? That's pride. We're depraved, guys. We're broken. We're miserable. We just don't think we're miserable because we're like pigs in a pigsty. We're right at home. You tell a pig he needs a bath. It's what you're going to get. So we don't see our dirtiness. We don't see our filth unless we look in the Word of God because God sees accurately. Well, I just disagree with that, preacher. Well, that's fine. Disagree with that, but you're not disagreeing with me. Read the Scriptures. But God met our deepest needs. So let's wrap this up. Because I know y'all had a short sermon last week. <laughs> Just Actually, it was good. I think maybe two minutes over, something like that. Minute fifty-seven. I wouldn't count. I knew I was close. <laughs> so what about this? How do we? Let's let, let's close this out. You've heard about the promises of the birth. You've heard about the person of the birth. You know the purpose of his birth. But do you know the power of his birth? I don't want to assume that anyone here, especially with young kids growing up, getting older, and kind of coming to that age of understanding where the Holy Spirit's beginning to work, and, and for the first time maybe you're really starting to think about these things. And even for some of these older saints that maybe been walking this earth 80 plus years, I don't ever want to assume that just because you grew up in church within the four walls that you somehow have experienced this new birth. Because here's the reality, guys. Unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. That's for all of us. You won't get there on mom and daddy's coattails. You won't get there because you were a member of Community Baptist Church. You won't get there because you were a nice person to your neighbors. There's only one way you and I get there. And it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into this world for your sake. 
And if you have never received the greatest gift given to mankind, then I pray you will receive Christ today by faith. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your need for a Savior. And believe on the only name given under heaven amongst men by which to be saved. That's the name of Jesus Christ. And if you'll cry out from the depths of your heart and soul to Him to forgive you of your sin and by faith receive Him as your Lord and Savior, He promises you, you will experience the power of His birth because you will experience in your life new birth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are becoming new. You begin to read the Word of God. You actually begin to see the Word of God for the first time and understand the Word of God. Begin to feed your soul and your spirit on the things of God and allow His transforming grace to be at work in your heart and your life. Have you by faith received the greatest gift ever given to man? Jesus is not only the babe in a manger. He's the God-man. Wise men today worship not only the child of Bethlehem, but also the man of Calvary because he's the Savior of the world. Is Jesus your Savior today? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time of year where we celebrate the coming of Christ, the incarnation. And Lord, as we proceed through December, uh, many in the Christian circle refer to the Advent. Lord, we know that um, it is a special time. And it's a special opportunity for those of us who know you. Lord, minister to us as believers to be renewed in understanding of the promises of the person of the purpose. And Lord, let us be renewed in the power. That as we navigate, the love of Christ will be seen in us and through us and that we'll share glad tidings of joy. And so, Father, you have your will and your way in us. I pray this morning if there's anyone who's uncertain about where they will spend eternity, Lord, I pray that they will take time, that they will care enough to ask and that your love will draw them to yourself. And Lord, I pray that uh, they know uh, I'm available, Pastor Nate, Pastor Dean, there's many here will be more than welcome to take the Word of God and show them how they can know you in a personal way, in a relationship beyond religion. And so Lord, you do what only you can do in the heart of man. And we'll thank you and praise you. Lord, thank you for this church this church family. I ask that you will continue to use us to be a blessing to one another, to lift up one another, especially in times that we face recently. May the love of Christ be evident to one another. 
And Lord, we thank you again. In the name that is truly above every name. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.